nice to see you. Thank you for coming today. We um, <clears throat> are really thankful for what God's doing in the life of the church, and uh, we're really excited uh, to see you, and um, thankful we're continuing in our study of the Gospel of John, and so we're just going to dive right in. Jesus is in the upper room. In less than a few hours, he is going to be betrayed in the garden by Judas, which will kickstart the entire process of his crucifixion. So these are his last words. Last words are important. Some of us in this church recently, you know what it's like to be with someone for their last words. And last words are really, really important. And uh, Jesus is giving his last words before his death, and he's got them in an upper room, and he's gathered his, his people. And we learned last week he called them to love each other, love each other. Then he said that he's the way, the truth, the life, and um, that uh, no one comes to the Father but by him. And so he's shown us a way and to live, and he, and he calls us towards that. Let me do that. How's that? <laughs> you don't want to see what I got written here. Man. Because half the time it's meaningless. I do whatever, but I'll try to stay on track. Jesus said, John chapter 14, now he comes to them and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He does this a number of times in the upper room. He's talking about, talked about their love for each other and their love for God, but now he's talking about their love for him. And remember, this is not a statement of how you earn God's love or something that you prove yourself to him by your obedience. He's rather saying this. This is a statement of fact. The result of our love for Jesus is our obedience to him. If you truly love Jesus, you will obey him. And this is what he's trying to get across. It's a statement of fact. The byproduct of or the result of having authentic love for Christ is that his followers will obey his commands and will want to. Now, we don't do this perfectly, do we? I certainly don't. As I say to many people, especially those in church leadership, I say, we'll never model perfection, but we must model growth. We have to show that we are increasingly loving Christ, and we increasingly then obey his commands. And now Jesus gave some commands. What commands is he talking about here? Well, we know the three biggest ones he gave. He said, the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if you love me, Jesus says, you'll love the Father that way. That's obeying that command. The other one is to love your neighbor as yourself. You increasingly love Jesus, you're going to love neighbor. And then he said, love one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, as I have loved you. And so to obey his commands, we love Jesus, we're going to love his body. It's like someone coming up to me and says, Jerry, I, I really like you, but I hate your wife. Well, that's what people do all the time to Jesus. I love you, but I hate your bride. No, if we love Jesus, we're going to love his church. We're going to love one another. And there's many other things that Jesus commanded. He talked about being merciful. He said, talked about caring for the poor. He talked about giving generously of our money and our resources. He talked about being faithful in marriage. 
He talked about not being driven by anger, but letting God take revenge. He talked about praying faithfully in his name. He talked about serving God and his purposes as to those who will give an account to him. He talked about avoiding sexual sin. He talked about seeking righteousness, about giving witness to those who do not yet know the love of the Father. He talked about live with an eternal perspective in light of eternity. He talked about seeking him and his kingdom as our top priority in life, not as an afterthought if we have some extra time, energy, or money. If we, in fact, love Jesus and we're growing in our love for him, it will increasingly become evident as our lives come into alignment with his commandments. Now, who can possibly live that out? I can't in my own strength. I can't muster it up. That's what religion, religious people do. They try to do it as best they can. They try harder, do more. They do this stuff to try to appear to be holy or to look good or somehow earn God's approval. But Jesus is saying it's the opposite. You love me deeply. The more you love me, the more you're going to obey. But you need something more. And here he's saying help is on the way. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You see, Jesus is saying, you can't do this on your own. Help's coming. And the Father's going to give us what we need to live this out. This help is actually a person, a divine person. You see, up to this point in the gospel, that person who's been helping them who has been helping these followers understand the love of God, understand his commands? Who's been guiding them, teaching them, and showing them the way? Come on, this is the time for the Sunday school answer. <laughs> Jesus? Yes, you're right. <laughs> this is really important. I'm not toying with you. You need to understand this. Jesus was the first helper The Greek word is parakletos, the paraclete, one who comes alongside to advocate for, to guide, to strengthen, to help. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another. That means there's one previous, and that was Jesus, the original parakletos to help us. Another. And it's wonderful to think this. He's going to give another who's going to help them to become like him, who's going to guide them and lead them. And it's fascinating, the word that the Holy Spirit led John to, to, to use for the word another. The usual word for another is heteros. But it means another of a different kind. That's where we get the word heterosexual, another kind. He uses the word allos, which means another of the identical kind and substance. Hear, please, what the richness of what Jesus is saying. I am going to ask the Father, and you are going to get another exactly like me, of the same substance and kind as me. And he will be with you 
forever. He is going to be God's practical sufficiency for every occasion, every emergency, every opportunity that comes our way. What a blessing this is to our struggling lives to try to obey everything he said. Nothing Jesus asks us to do, he doesn't provide for us the capacity and the power to do. But it even gets better. Listen, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And we are entering into the fullest teaching in the entire New Testament on the person of the Holy Spirit. It's found in John's Gospel. He's mentioned him a few times, right at the beginning of the book. He's given illustration of him He'll be like rivers of living water, overflowing. He's mentioned him. Jesus is going to baptize you with spirit and with fire. But now in this passage, there's five places, John 14, 15 to 17, verses 25 and following, chapter 15, verse 26, chapter 16, 4 through 11, and chapter 16, 12 to 15. These are the, this is the single biggest uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit in the entire New Testament. And it's coming from the lips of Jesus himself. And what he's saying is something fascinating. How does Jesus help his followers? Well, he indwells us. The Holy Spirit into the old covenant would come upon somebody for a task. He would anoint someone for something. Or in the distinguishing, you can't separate the, the humanity, the human nature, and the divine nature of Jesus. You can't, but you can distinguish between them. So on the human nature of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon him, rested on him. In the Old Testament, he'd come on someone, and then he, you know, he did that work, and he'd come on him again to do something. When Jesus got baptized, it was interesting, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove, and what does it say? It said, and he remained on him. <gasps> Something new is happening. Something new is happening. Fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 11. For through the stump of Jesse, which is an illustration of through the lineage of Jesse, that is would ultimately come Christ. The spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. The spirit of knowledge and wisdom. The spirit of understanding and counsel, the spirit of strength and the fear of the Lord. And he would come upon him. And that's what happened at Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Acts gives commentary on that. It said, chapter 10 of Acts, verse 38, how the Spirit anointed Jesus and he went around doing good. But something better Jesus says, it is to your advantage because I'm going to send, I ask the Father and send the helper and he is with you, but he's going to be what? In you. The transition from old covenant to new covenant is profound because the spirit of God is not just going to come and rest on you. He's actually going to fill you inside. I'm going to give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, and he will be 
in you. The most mind-boggling truth, I think, this astounding, is that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've decided that you believe Jesus, you love him, and you've committed your life to obey him and, and committing to his purposes, you have literally inside your deepest being a presence that's not yours. The Holy Spirit deep in you. Get it? For those that are new to Summit, when I go get it, you say got it, and I say good, okay? Get it? Good. That's true. It's true. You must believe, if you don't believe that literally the Spirit of God is inside you, in your spirit, you are hampering your entire walk. In our union with Him, we then learn to cooperate and respond to what the Spirit does inside of us. He influences us. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our choices, our affections, our will. But people who do not, Jesus, people who do not believe, who do not love Jesus or follow him, cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It's only by entrusting one's life that we are assured of the presence of the Spirit of God within us intimately. 14 verse 8, he goes on, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Jesus promises his presence. What did he say? I will come to you. Well, hold it, hang on a sec. I just thought you said that the helper, the spirit is coming. You're going to the Father. But Jesus is saying here, I will come to you. And the Spirit is one in essence with the Son and the Father. So when the Spirit comes, Jesus comes. It is the Spirit of Jesus himself who comes and fills us. Now, if I had conversations with some of you, and I'm so thankful to see uh, Connie you know, here today and Rob. We had this conversation around the table yesterday, remember? We feel orphaned, both parents gone. And uh, we're praying for you, Connie, Rob, and the whole family. But suddenly we're the end of the line. We, we don't have parents anymore. This is not to disparage in any way who's an orphan. You've gone through things I have no idea about. I'm just giving you a sense that there's a sense of a feeling that I've never had before. And the good news is this, Connie, and everyone else in the room who's endured that. Jesus said, I'll never leave you as orphans. Because he's going to come to us. His promise won't, his presence won't be physical, it'll be spiritual. And he's going to come. Verse 19, yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, again, um, scholars just decimate small forests, uh, talking about what this means. Uh, some think this is referring to his resurrection. He's going to go away again, but then they'll see him again. Uh, most, however, at the end of the day, think this is more 
beyond not just the resurrection, but after he ascends. And he says, you're going to see me. You're going to understand me. You're going to perceive me because I'm going to come to you in the person of the helper, the Holy Spirit. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. It's a wonderful truth. Um, I read this book uh, recently. I loved the book. It was uh, just a small one. I like to read small books. <laughs> but it's deeply rich, and it's called Experiencing the Trinity. And uh, a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, and in the, the author, uh, Daryl says that uh, in the Trinity is the deepest, richest community where the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, the Spirit is in, the, in Jesus, G Jesus is in the Spirit. And this wonderful dance of the Trinity, when we come to know Christ and stuff, we are actually invited into the dance to experience the Trinity. We don't become the Trinity. We experience the Trinity. And so this is what happens is that when you and I, Jesus is saying here, in that day when you know you're going to trust in me, you're going to believe, you're going to receive the helper, the Holy Spirit after I'm gone. And when you do so, you're going to know that I'm in the Father and that you are in me and I in you. We are invited into the most loving, dynamic relationship going on in the universe with the triune God himself. Our founder with the Christian Missionary Alliance, A.B. Simpson, in his book, When the Comforter Came, and some of you are older than 45, you'll know that that comforter means the Holy Spirit because in the King James Version, they translated it comforter. Another comforter will come. Some other translations use the word helper or advocate or counselor. And uh, so in his book, he said, the coming of the helper, I use the word helper, Simpson used the word comforter, okay? Just for those of you that are Simpson savvy. Uh, the coming of the helper is to make Jesus intensely real. The indwelling and abiding of the Lord Jesus himself as our ever-present, all-sufficient, and everlasting friend. When the Holy Spirit comes in, the, other, the helper, when he comes and he, he fills you, you need not be afraid. The Spirit makes Jesus intensely real to us. Why did Paul tell the church in Ephesus, pray for a spirit of revelation? Why? That we would know Christ more. The more we understand or are filled with the Spirit and, and, and lean into Him actually means the more and more we're going to understand and experience and know Jesus. And people are afraid of the Holy Spirit because of false teaching, because of kooks, people who are, you know, charismaniacs, if you will. You know, they talk about the Spirit and they do crazy things. And so we, we set the Spirit aside because that's not what... We know He's there, but we just keep Him under lock and key and we ask Him to behave Himself. It's not the Spirit that's crazy, it's immature people. And I've made a decision, I will never let immature people and their bad and wrongful experiences or uncontrolled experiences are going to rob me of all the blessing that God has promised through the Holy Spirit. Church, you need not be afraid of the Spirit of God. He makes Jesus more real. 
He shapes you into the person of Christ. And as Tozer said, the spirit of Jesus is a perfect gentleman. And so when he, another of the very same as Jesus, comes to fill you, you need not fear that. You need not fear. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Again, it's not, it's a result, right? If you love me deeply, that's just a statement of fact. You love me, you're going to obey me. The one who obeys me loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Jesus again repeats his teaching about this love and that those who love him are loved by God and this cycle of love just flows, this dance of love. And Jesus promises something absolutely mind-boggling. Here it is. He promises to manifest, disclose, reveal, pull the curtain back, show himself to who? Any Christian? Those who obey and love me. And if you do that, he's going to manifest himself, reveal himself, show himself more and more to them. Judah said, well, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How do only Christians have this manifestation? Because when we're with you, we're walking around, everyone else can see you. They see you doing things. How is it you're going to manifest yourself only to us and not to the world? And he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Third time, help us to understand this. Your love for me will result in your obedience to me. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus answers Judah's question about how Jesus is going to manifest himself to his followers, not to unbelievers. And he's saying that you will experience God's deep and abiding presence. The Father and Son will reveal and have real fellowship with believers. They won't with unbelievers. With believers, they will. They will be the dwelling place. He says, we will come and make our home with him. Exact same phrase he used in chapter 14, verse 2. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, dwelling places. This is the exact same thing. What he's saying here is this. For those who love Jesus, who obey him, we're going to be loved by God and God and the Father and God the Son are going to come and make their abode their home, their fellowship place with them. John reiterates this in Revelation 3.20 where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Whoever opens the door, I will come into them and have fellowship. He's writing this to the church, not to non-believers, to the church. If you open your heart to me, if you show you love me, I will come in and we will have Deep fellowship, that's the image behind that. We will dine together, we'll eat together. So you and I open the door to tangible fellowship, experiencing the indwelling presence and relationship of the Father and Son through the Holy Spirit as we love, believe in, and live in alignment with Jesus' words. If we don't believe and love and obey Christ, we will not. 
It sounds like the old hymn that Fred Hammes wrote. Some of you in the room will know it. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It's just a statement of fact, isn't it true? That's the corollary to this whole thing. No love for Jesus will result in disregard for both the words of Jesus and the words of the Father. Those who don't love him won't obey the scripture. Romans tells us that, that they don't, they're hostile towards God's word and his laws. They're not subjecting themselves to it, nor are they able to. Is it any wonder the world gets angry at what God the Father and what Jesus command? Jesus said, obey me in my words and the Father's. And here, remember, people try to build a divide between what Jesus taught and what the Father taught. Jesus won't allow it. He brings them right back together. He said, the word that you hear is not mine, it's the Father's. The Father's word's my word. My word's the Father's word. And they, is it any wonder our world hates the scripture to try to direct their attitudes, what they do with their money, their sexuality, their priorities, their worship, their values. Those who don't love Jesus or the Father will react against any claim he places on them, any direction, any impingement, any restriction. Those who truly love and believe him will surrender in obedience. So, verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. He's, he's drilling down these last things because there's a sense of urgency. They got to get this before I leave. I'm going to be gone here soon. So he cycles back and says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit to whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus makes it absolutely clear to the disciples who he's speaking about. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The helper is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So here's how he helps. First thing he said in this verse is the Holy Spirit is going to help us by teaching us. I'm leaving. I've been teaching you all this time, but I'm leaving, and the helper's coming, and he's going to teach you all things. God, the Holy Spirit, comes alongside of us, helping to live as Jesus called us by teaching us and bringing to our remembrance everything he taught. He teaches us primarily by helping us to understand the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's the pneumatos. You know, it's, the, it's God-breathed, and the same word for breath is spirit. What he's saying is the source of Scripture, God's Word, is the Holy Spirit. First, uh, P- uh, Peter tells us that the, no prophecy came of Scripture came by the will of a heart of man. But as God superintendent, 
the writing of the scripture through them. You see, the spirit is the source. He used human authors, uh, utilizing their personalities and all of that, but he superintended it so as they wrote, they wrote his words. So he teaches the one who authored it now helps us to understand it. He turns it on. He, it's like illumination. He turns the lights on. It helps you to see. He teaches you out of the scripture. Now, he may do that through a person like this morning. Maybe you are learning in the Holy Spirit, because it's not me, actually the Holy Spirit through me, may be teaching you about the Spirit. He can do that through a person. He can also do it directly to you with the Scripture. And he teaches you spiritual truth. The second thing he said there is that he reminds us. He reminds us of Jesus' teaching. He's active by bringing to our memory Jesus' word in the scripture when we need it. When you and I are tempted, he'll often bring a scripture that helps us, right? He'll often, when you are sharing Christ or witnessing to someone, suddenly you'll see a scripture will come to you, a verse, an insight. Sometimes he'll guide you. You're wondering what to do, and he'll bring you a scripture verse. In worship, He'll give you an idea. A verse will come to you as you're, as you're singing and worshiping. When you're praying, this happens a lot to me. You know, I mean, praying about something in the Spirit will bring a scripture verse to my mind. And so I pray that into that to help me. See, now, if this is true that the Spirit will teach you, but he'll bring to your remembrance everything I taught you, now there's a responsibility on you and I, isn't there? If he's going to help us remember we need to know what he said first. That means you and I need to read, study, understand, apply. Like we need to memorize the scripture, his teaching, so that he can then bring it to our memory. You see, he'll teach you what you don't know. But if you know something, you studied it, you read it, some, then it's there, he can bring it to your memory. Memories are things that you've already experienced. Kind of like the old children's rhyme. You remember the nursery rhyme? Old Mother Hubbard went to her cupboard to fetch her poor dog a bone. But when she got there, the cupboard was bare. So the poor dog had none. It doesn't really rhyme at the end, but you get the picture that how the, you know, she goes to the cupboard to get it and there's nothing there. And that's like some Christians. The Holy Spirit goes to the cupboard of their soul of their minds and there's nothing there. How can he bring to their memory what they never put in? Christians, stock your shelves with the word of God so that the Holy Spirit has ample resource to draw on and bring to your memory when you need it. Does this make sense? The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm leaving and I'm going to bring to you another one of me. But it's going to be better because... He's going to be in you. He's going to teach you. He's going to bring to your remembrance what I taught. What a great way. This is only one of the ways that he's preparing his people for his departure. And we on the other side of all this need to understand he is preparing us to live in this world as his followers without his physical presence. But we have his spiritual presence in the person of the Spirit dwelling within us to teach us.
to never leave us. The second parakletos to come alongside and strengthen and guide and teach and to bless and bring to our remembrance everything that he taught us. That's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah, I'll just end it there. I know there's more. Let's just end it there this morning. And thank the Lord for what he's done.